The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. We've got a great show for you tonight as we kick off another week. Always looking forward to uh, Mondays. You know how some people say, uh, the Monday blues, the Monday... I get excited about Mondays. You know, the weekends are nice. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy my weekends just like everyone else. However, um, Mondays we get back into the swing of this stuff. We get to talk about a lot of fun things, and that's what I like to do. Uh, Although the first thing I'm going to talk about tonight is not so fun, sadly. But um, before we do that, uh, tonight we'll be talking with uh, Sarah Main. Sarah is a teacher and a transformational coach. We'll talk about her new book called Conscious Confidence, Use the Wisdom of Sanskrit to Find Clarity and Success. So it'll be an interesting kind of a self-help program tonight looking forward to that how do we feel better about ourselves now i i you know i know that uh, th- this is a little bit controversial but for those of us who have spent most of our professional lives in radio in one form or another we recognize the contributions that this individual has made to the broadcast community and i'm talking about rush limbaugh uh obviously there are people that love him and there are people that like him or that hate him. But I will tell you this, uh, there are a lot of people that love him because he is the most listened to radio personality in the world. And not just, you know, in the last five years, not just the last 10 years, not just the last 20 years, but for over 30 years. In fact, he is so popular that he single-handedly saved AM radio. When he started his syndicated program back in, I think it was 1988. And not only did he single-handedly save AM radio, but he actually single-handedly saved radio. And, uh, uh, you know, there was a period in the 90s, and I know because I was part of the market then, that, um, you know, radio's future was very, very uncertain. And uh, it was programs like Rush Limbaugh. And I'm not saying he single. I, I am saying he single-handedly did it, but he didn't do it by himself, if that makes any sense. Because what he did was he invented the modern-day talk radio format. In fact, this program, what we're doing right now, Rush Limbaugh had a hand in paving the way for this. What um, Art Bell started doing in the '90s, Rush Limbaugh paved the way for that. He, uh, his views are controversial for, for a lot of people, but there is no question, if you're a broadcaster, you recognize how important his contribution has been to the broadcast community. And he announced today to his listeners that he has advanced staged lung cancer. Uh, that is never a good diagnosis, obviously. He's going to un- be undergoing some treatment, and um, I'm hoping that everyone can put, whether uh, they're a, a, a fan or not of Rush, put their um, political views aside and and wish a, a man who has done a lot for a lot of people um, a speedy recovery here. It's, you know, it's a difficult road for him ahead. And I, my father, uh, in fact, went down that road, and it, it claimed him rather quickly. So hopefully that won't be the case for Rush Limbaugh. Sorry to kind of start this off in a bit of a morbid sense here. I don't mean to do that, but I did want to make sure we had a chance to talk about what Rush will be going through. A couple of things I'd like you to do. Uh, if you're listening to this show as a podcast, please go to YouTube. Go to the YouTube channel. Find JV Johnson. Subscribe there. Become part of our online YouTube community. It's a great place with over, gosh, 500 plus back episodes of the program, plus some bonus content. Great chat room when we're live. 
A lot of great stuff there on the YouTube channel. Again, go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson. Please subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification icon so you're alerted when we go live and or when we upload bonus content. If you are watching this on YouTube, if you're one of the people that either watch it live or watch it later on YouTube, find the podcast as well. You probably have a smartphone. You probably have a podcast app on that smartphone. Go into the podcast app, search for Beyond Reality Paranormal, find the podcast, and subscribe. And that way the show will be uh, you know delivered to you every day. And if, if you've already heard it, fine. But if, if you haven't, it's right there for you to reference, whether you're on a drive, a commute, uh, you know, sitting on your back porch, you know, taking a walk, whatever it happens to be. It's a great way to listen to the program. It's edited and uploaded every day as a podcast. And everybody with a smartphone has very, very easy access to it. You can also find it on things like Stitcher and Spotify and uh, Anchor, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the major distribution points for podcasts. So, again, subscribe if you have an opportunity to do that. I'd appreciate it. And the final thing I'll ask you to do, then we're going to go to break and get our guest ready to go. The final thing I'm going to ask you to do is to go to Facebook, find my page. JVJ Paranormal is the way to find it, or just JV Johnson tends to bring it up as well, and give that a follow or a like and uh, be part of that group for us as well. All right, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll bring our guest in. Sarah Main is our guest tonight, teacher and transformational coach. We'll be talking about her new book. It's called Conscious Confidence, Use the Wisdom of Sanskrit to Find Clarity and su- Success. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. Our guest tonight, Sarah Main. Sarah is a teacher and a transformational coach. And she has a new book out. It's called Conscious Confidence, Use the Wisdom of Sanskrit to Find Clarity and Success. Sara, welcome to Beyond Reality. Great to have you here with us tonight. Thanks so much, JV. It's great to be along. Now, you are in, uh, I believe, Sydney, Australia. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, So, well, first of all, halfway, yeah, about halfway around (laughs) the world, which is pretty amazing. But secondly, how are things progressing with the fight against those unbelievably devastating fires throughout Australia? Well, they're they're still going. Um, they settle down for a little bit. They haven't fully gone out, and then they f- another fire further down south has flared up. So the air's pretty smoky. Yeah, it's going on. People are ma- you know battling on. Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, you, we we here uh, can't even imagine uh, yeah. that type of fire. I mean, we get wildfires for sure, um, but man, yeah. I've seen satellite photos of the Australian continent, and it seems like the whole thing's ablaze. Well, certain sections of it, uh, yeah, but it's been particularly bad. I mean, fires are a part of life. I've, sure. you know, I'm born and bred in Sydney, but it's been particularly bad, and you know, it's, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> well, our hearts, prayers, and uh, hopefully some help in whatever uh, form people can send, or uh, you know, certainly uh, you're in our minds and our prayers. So hopefully, uh, there's not much more of this, and it gets under control, and uh, people can resume uh, resume what we would consider to be a normal life. Our prayers are with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's talk about being a transformational coach. What does that mean? <laughs> um, well, coaching is is a different modality from counselling or therapy. Um, coaching is about where you are now and assisting the move forward to where what you want to achieve, what you want to do. And the element of transformation is also in um 
transforming yourself, raising your awareness so that you can experience and give expression to the greater part of your potential um, that you have to offer. And there is an element in good coaching of transformation, um, and I've certainly found that that's an important element in the coaching work that I do. And what does it mean for you to do this for people? I mean, you must get a great deal of personal satisfaction out of helping people this way. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's seeing someone in one place where they are and they feel trapped in some way or limited. It just may be they're in the wrong type of career or in the wrong role in the work that they're doing or it could be more a personal life situation, um, needn't be, you know, hugely dramatic, but just a sense of things not being quite in alignment, not quite right. Um, one client said to me, I've, I've just lost my mojo, you know, which was a great thing for a client to, to offer you as a starting point. I'm not sure I ever. To, I'm not sure I ever had any mojo, but that's a, that's a different story. <laughs> but this guy lost it, but he found it again, and that's so exciting because what you see is someone becoming all that they can be, or more of of who they can be, and giving expression to that, which is great for them. But inevitably, it's great for everyone around them, their family, their friends, all the people they work with. I mean, this is how we transform our lives, our society and communities is by transforming ourselves. Do you think it's a fair statement that everybody has an element of this, this, uh, you said things are not quite in alignment or it's a dissatisfaction with career or maybe relationship or you know, their financial status. I mean, everybody's got an element of this in some part of a life. Wouldn't that be true? Uh, yeah, basically. Yes. Um, I think it's the nature of things within a human being, but particularly the people that I'm meeting now, this this seems to be the case. There's something not quite right um, and it's a case of how do you start resolving that um, because it just seems like we're hardwired as human beings to seek to be in alignment. It's not satisfactory that we can just put up with things if they're not quite right. Um which is exciting in some respects because there's always an opportunity, but it, it can be frustrating if you don't know where to go and what to do. Is it the case that it's the situation somebody finds themselves in, again, using a, 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 an unsatisfactory career as an example, does that unsatisfactory yeah. career create the problems within the person or do you think the person has, as you said, this, this unalignment or this misalignment within them that makes them not be able to be satisfied with some of these things? Yeah, I think it's a look. It, it start. It always starts from within yourself, and that's yeah. not a blame thing. Far from it. It it it's if you if you're in the wrong role or the wrong career, it'll be because of something that just wasn't. You know, you weren't quite aware of. You weren't hadn't come into alignment with who you really are and what you have to offer. And that's fine because what you've been doing has got you to this point and that's great and part of the transformation is to embrace what's gone before take the best of it and then be prepared to let that go and move forward and that takes courage certainly um and a determination and resolve however um it, it's largely getting into alignment and then within yourself and connected to yourself 
properly and then things tend to just roll out and flow from there. Um, and then there's always plenty of energy and opportunities and, and you just find, I just find myself, you know, I experienced it, but the people that I work with, they just sort of say, oh, wow, who knew these opportunities came, this, that and the other, and they took them and then they're in the right place, you know. Let's talk about your uh your experience a little bit here. Um, I know that you had basic, I think it may be a fair word to use as an epiphany as a child, <laughs> right? 10 years old. Tell us what happened. Um, yeah, actually when I was eight, I just had this profound universal connection. I was just standing on the back doorstep at home, you know, just a kid in the suburbs, <laughs> nothing special. Um, I just a complete connection and I, I did feel this sense of a sort of um, uh, it was like from within and without it's hard to put words to it but this real being called to something I didn't know what anyway um, and that never left me and but I was fortunate my parents were keen seekers they came out from England after the war in the late 1950s to, to Australia and they were seeking and, you know, there wasn't a lot around then that was obvious. It's not like now where you can go on the internet to find anything. Um, and they read things and explored things and then they found these practical philosophy classes and I can remember Dad coming home and saying, this is it, this is what we're after. And um, this was to Mum. And, and I could see their enthusiasm. I could see they were onto something. And they were introduced to meditation, which was unusual in those days. Um, that was back in the late 1960s. And they meditated, you know, just normal suburban life, but they meditated. They was reading things and discussing things. And, and you know, this changed everything. And, and then I was, in 1971, uh, Dad could see I was interested and he said, do you want to come along? And I said, yes. Uh, look, you know, I sat in an adult class of people studying philosophy. I had, I didn't actually understand a lot of the discussion. I was 10 years old. They're adults. And yet I was completely connected to the energy, the feeling. And when they practiced mindfulness exercises, I just found that really easy. I just connected straight away. Um, and then a few months later when I was, still 10, I was introduced to meditation and, um, you know, so it was just a natural connection for me and I've just always been interested in it, you know. <laughs> Do you think in those classes that you went to as a child where you were surrounded by adults that you may have had an advantage because you were a child that you haven't, <laughs> that, no, seriously, that you haven't built up any preconceived notions and maybe haven't closed your mind to some of the things that adults tend to close their minds to? Look, absolutely. I I laughed because um, it, it was a, a great advantage in some ways, but I suppose look, no one knew how to relate to a child's experience and I didn't know how to communicate a child's experience. It was just the experience, which is it's immediate and direct. It's not like you're an adult and then you have yeah. – an, an experience as a child, you're just there, you know, it's not an ex separate experience or a separate state as it were. And I think that's the trap. Um, there's a sort of a, two, a plus and a minus there because as a child, I, I just, there was, it was just how it is. It was simple, immediate. And yet then I would hear the adults all discussing it and the, you know, overcoming any barriers and so on. And as a child, 
um, I didn't know and no one knew to say to me, look, don't worry, this is an adult experience they're talking about. So I then, there were certain elements of me that wondered, so, gee, did I miss something? Have I, have I missed the point of this? And it was only as an adult I sort of undid some of that self-doubt that came in because I realised that those immediate connections were true um, and that that was an adult overlay to have to sort of go through these other things. Do you think that awakening, that realization you had on your back porch at eight years old, do you think there was a spiritual component to that? Oh, completely. It, 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 the spiritual component was the whole thing. But, you know, like I say, for children, it's immediate. They don't have sort of worldly and spiritual as two separate things, so to speak. It's just is. And so that experience was total and abiding and was complete connection with uh, another realm altogether. Um, and yet there I was standing there and I think I, I went and got my bike after that and went riding up the street, you know, as, a, as an eight-year-old does. Um, but that connection where you don't sort of go somewhere else or do something else for, to, to be spiritual or connect with the spiritual, that has never left me because it is immediate. It is here now. Um, you know, there are other levels of consciousness beyond just what we experience with our senses. As you started to learn these ideas, um, these philosophies, these concepts, uh, and you were practicing them for yourself, I'm sure, for quite some time, when did you start realizing that it was important for you to share it with others? Um, I, I think it was just a natural tendency. I suppose I was just sort of naturally drawn as a, a teacher because that's what I did for 30 years. I was a school teacher and I had always wanted to teach. I originally considered um, teaching at university um, and then huh, I, uh, my husband actually became a head, school headmaster, school principal, and he turned to me and he said, I need a teacher. On, I need some more teachers. And so I ended up teaching <laughs> at school. <laughs> Um, I never quite got to the university level, which was fine because I can trust me teaching teaching well to young people. You really have to know your stuff. But um, yeah, look, I think it was just natural, and and also it is. I've observed it is natural in uh, human beings that when you experience something, you then want to pass it on. Um, yeah, it's natural. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the teaching came first, and then you realized that uh, you had th some things that were of, of great value that you could teach others beyond what the school curriculum was, uh, and you decided to start to share it in that sense. Yeah, de definitely. Um, I think, well, in, in the philosophy classes, as you went on, and you know, obviously once I became a, a young adult, uh, there were opportunities to be a, a a tutor of, an, of a class, a philosophy class myself. This was in the sort of evenings and weekends and, and on uh, residential seminars and workshops. And so that was a, a great honour and, and an opportunity to work with other adults also seeking and working on themselves and studying philosophy and meditation. So I had a lot of experience there. And then when I started uh, school teaching, I had the normal curriculum to teach, but the school was founded on these philosophical principles and we were a normal school in that respect, normal private school, fee-paying school in, in Sydney. 
Um, but we also had the added advantage really of teaching mindfulness and we had a weekly philosophy lesson with the children. Now that started when they were five years old, when they started school, five to 12 years old. And, um, you know, that was hugely privileged to sit with children and to be teaching this because, you know, you are right on the edge of having to be present with the child and appreciate their experience rather than overlay any adult concepts on them. Um, so it was it was very beautiful, very illuminating. I learned a lot, but you could see for children this was uh, seeds going into their being that then they could take through their life. At some point, uh, you... And, and this is how you describe it. You say you were seeing all the crying in the world, uh, which led you to this current project, which you call uh, Conscious Confidence in the book that's of the huh. same name. Um, what were you seeing in the world that made you feel like you needed to put this together and really uh, put this in high gear? Um, it was really this crying, an expression, a crying need. Um, what I started to see was, and, and now it's everywhere, but this was a few years ago before it was actually in the media and everything. Uh, you know, uh, oddly enough, I just noticed this, this constant references to how terrifying something was, how frightened people were, how scary it is. It, words like this, it's terrifying, it's frightening, it's scary. And then, of course, all the talk about anxiety, the mental health, all those issues. And I, I did notice it beginning as I was uh, the towards the end of my teaching time and I taught for 30 years you know a few years over 30 years and I noticed towards the end that was starting to come in and my husband who was doing a lot of interviewing for parents to enroll their children in the school so he was talking to parents all the time he noticed this sort of existential fear in the parents that used not to be there and particularly in the mothers they were just anxious and nervous all the time and mothers used not to be like that. Now they were. And so the conversation he had at enrolment was quite different because of the presence of that. And that's not a judgment. It's just a, was a, it was a noticeable trend. And that was part of what prompted me. And then also I had taken up learning the harp, which is something I always wanted to do since I was 10 and I uh, finally got round to it sort of 40 years later and my harp teacher was running a workshop and uh, for a weekend for harp players and look I was just a beginner but she said come along and I went along and one of the sessions was with a psychologist dealing with performance anxiety for musicians and there was a room with like 30 harpists and they were all discussing the problems of intense performance anxiety and how it's very prevalent these days for musicians to take medication to deal with the performance anxiety. Um, and, you know, that, that was, amaz it was amazing. Um, and then I started looking into all of that with performance anxiety and, you know, I knew a bit about fight flight, but I really have went into it in depth, read a lot of books, did a lot of research over some months. And, and then I thought, there's more to it. There's something here. I could just feel it in myself. And I started then thinking, what is happening when you're confident, when you're actually confident in yourself? There's a self-assurance there. What's going on? And as soon as I asked that question, it was like the lights went on. Go back and look at the Sanskrit, which is, of course, my background was in Sanskrit. And so I went and looked up Sanskrit and what does Sanskrit 
say about just the word confidence and I came up with 12 Sanskrit words all related to confidence and I started researching those. That was months of work going into the etymology of them and I felt like I was just being led through this whole process. I knew what was happening. I could feel it. I just had to keep following and doing the research. It was fascinating. And then I spread it. Once I sort of got to a certain point after about six months, I spread it all out in the dining room table. I thought there's something here. What is it? And I said, honey, to my husband, honey, come and have a look. <laughs> What, what am I? There's something here. I had it all spread all over the dining room table. I said, "There's something here. What am I looking at? What's here? What's it telling me?" And he said, "My husband's brilliant at this." He said, "Right, let's start grouping things." And so we just got all the research, and we and as soon as he said that, all this material started have you know they there were certain characteristics, and they fell into four groups, and that's how I got the focusing, uniting, simplifying, and energizing. And it was just like, boom, it was all there. And then it started, the, the Fuse program and everything just all made sense after that. So that was really, that's the story. <laughs> well, we'll get into, into more into some more detail about all of that. Um, we have to go to break here in just a minute. And I just want to get your opinion on this anxiety issue because you, you made a real solid point about that. And I think that anecdotally, most people would uh, admit to the fact that they see a lot more not only anxiety within themselves and within their families, but with their neighbors. It seems as though this this idea of anxiety uh, has become maybe one of our most, um, I don't know, fastest growing uh, health issues, if you will. Uh, do you think this is a, a an environmental result or is is this a something biological happening within people? Where do you think it's coming from? Well, look, you could... You could pin it on all sorts of things externally, but, you know, from my uh, training in philosophy and spiritual things and, and wisdom, it always comes back to yourself. It doesn't matter about the externals. It comes back to the connection with yourself, your state of awareness, your level of awareness and your level of consciousness. And that may seem abstract, but it isn't. It It, it really is how it works and that's how why I wrote the book um, because five years ago there wasn't the same dialogue about anxiety just that one word anxiety for example and it's happened in the time I've been writing the book all of a sudden it's it was like I was just writing this book just before it was about to hit all the media the way it is now it's phenomenal um, and I felt I was being led as I as I wrote this and I felt I was being led by that very connection that I had when I was eight years old on the back doorstep. It was like this was something I was meant to bring forward. Um, yeah. The um, Just to touch on this anxiety issue one more time, uh, hmm. it seems to me that um, what we're going to be talking about when we get into more of the details of, of your book and what you've researched and, and you're uh, presenting to people, um, it's kind of the opposite of this onslaught of technology in our lives that not not only i mean obviously there's a lot of benefits to it but i know even myself i mean if if i'm you know sitting somewhere and i don't have my phone in my hand to do something within three minutes i feel like i'm you know i'm going crazy because i don't have this thing device to fiddle with while i'm sitting here um technology has to be adding to this yes it, it it's I don't think it's the cause. 
um, because like I say it's it, it's a, it's a state of consciousness. But the fact that we have become so invested in the technology um, is we have substituted that for a sense of self in some way or another. We're we're so invested. That, as you say, if we don't have our phones next to us, and like I'm the same, I've got my phone with me, but now I'm disciplining myself to leave it. You know, it, it, we we refer to it as a phone, but actually, right. we're walking around with it with a supercomputer. That's right. And I very, I actually hardly ever use my phone as an actual phone. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know? I think it's probably the same. I know it's the, the true with me, and probably with most. Sorry, you have uh, you've got a podcast and a YouTube channel as well. Yes, I do. Yep. Tell us a little bit about each of those just quickly so we know what they are. Um, the podcast is, uh, I do a monthly podcast through Transformation Talk Radio and they're filmed and so they're put up on a YouTube channel, which is Conscious Confidence Sarah Main. So you can either listen to them as a, as a podcast or watch the, watch the uh, video. Um, and really, I have been doing those now for a few years and they're all based around the material that actually has come together in the book and I have done podcasts on topics beyond that. Um, but it, it, I just unpack and go a bit deeper into all this area of wisdom, uh, knowledge, experience, transformation uh, and actual real connection and how the Sanskrit works in with all of this. And a number of the shows I have co-hosted with Dr. Pat Basili, who was really the one who got me started on all of this um, in some respects because she just sent an email out to me sort of out of the blue. She saw my old coaching website and she said, I like the look of what you're doing. And um, she started Transformation Talk Radio uh, some many years ago and she sort of got me on to doing the podcast and then she said, you know, I think there's a book in this and uh, she's based she's based in Seattle. So it's like I'm sitting in Sydney and she's just literally out of the blue and uh, I've just followed it from there. Yep. Tell us about Sanskrit. Um, obviously, I think most people are just aware that it's a, it's a language, uh, but it's yep. it's much more than that, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, you may have come across it if you've done some yoga or, well, if you've watched movies like The Matrix or one of the Star Wars movies, um, there's Sanskrit in the uh, theme songs, in the, in the theme music. Um, a number of celebrities have got Sanskrit tattoos. It is actually hiding in plain sight everywhere. <laughs> um, and, in fact, it's the cognate. Uh, well, it's the one. It is a root of English. So even though we've been speaking English now for, you know, some little while, twenty minutes or so, uh, we're fully connected with Sanskrit just linguistically because a lot of our English words have come straight from Sanskrit. Um, Sometimes so, I feel like I've only been speaking English for twenty minutes, <laughs> stumbling <laughs> over my words here as a radio host. Anyway, uh, but but it's it's. I mean, obviously, there's so much deeper meaning here, um, and it's not just words and and symbols. There's there's meaning here. Yes, um, it, Sanskrit's it's often referred to as the language of enlightenment, um, and it's an extraordinary thing about Sanskrit because it. And this is directly accessible to anyone, is that it brings the two things of sort of head and heart, the analytical and the, the intuitive, um, maths and music, and the spiritual and the scientific, all these different aspects are all together as one in the language. 
the language itself is phenomenal in terms of its order and depth and breadth. It's it's amazing. Um, I mean, it seriously makes, even though Latin and ancient Greek are magnificent languages, don't get me wrong, but Sanskrit, uh, in my humble opinion, it eclipses them all, and I'm sure there would be a lot of Sanskrit scholars that would agree. Um, it It is a magnificent language, but it has this other dimension to it, whereas in the actual words themselves, in the language is the potency of experience, that the, the knowledge and the energy is intact and it just goes immediately to the to the heart, and you experience the meaning um, in the in the language directly. There's no separate experience. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Well, I I'm trying to make it make sense, and I'm trying to understand how a language can have so much power. And I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm assuming all languages are the creation of humans in one form or another. What gives certain languages, and particularly Sanskrit, more of this power that you describe? Well, the, the word Sanskrit, it's actually Sanskrita, um, is the Sanskrit word for Sanskrit. It, it means, the actual word means pure and perfectly formed. And it's that very purity at its essence. Um, and they, you know, Sanskrit is linguistically called a dead language like Latin and ancient Greek because they're no longer changing, unlike English. You know, the English my parents spoke in England in the 1930s is not quite the English that we speak now just because it's always changing and evolving and, right. you know, even you know, there's been a sort of a whole part of language that's come in just with the advent and development of technology. You know, we talk about messaging and texting and just these are just words that didn't exist before. Sanskrit is not like that. Um, so it's unchanged and in that way it's complete and unchanged and in being pure and perfectly formed, the knowledge and the energy is intact. It's not diluted and changed and the very structure of the language each word comes from a verbal root a little single syllable verbal root and if you remember from your elementary primary school uh, grammar classes learning English verb is a doing word it's an action it's an energy and so each word comes uh, is derived from these verbal roots and so the meaning that's why it's experiential the actual meaning um, is held in these verbal roots and in the act of doing something, the meaning is there. So the um, meaning is what it does. And, you know, I put, I derived all the, the work I've done from Sanskrit and I, I don't want people to be put off by that because really this, I've made it practical with stories and analogies but you do get a, a direct connection with some of the pure and amazing wisdom that's in Sanskrit in a very practical and immediate way in the book because Sanskrit shouldn't be seen as something just for academics, you know, sitting away studying with their books. Tell us about uh, the book, Conscious Confidence. Tell us about the title and what the book does for people. Well, the title, going back to the when I spread all this stuff out on the dining room table and all my research, and I said to my husband, honey, what am I looking at? Um, after we discussed this and we were standing up 
shuffling things around and and all of a sudden I thought, bang, you know, the lights had gone on. I thought, okay, what is this called? What is this? And about five minutes later I was standing in the kitchen and just boom, conscious confidence literally was given to me, those two words. And I've just followed it. I've stuck to those words. They were literally given to me. I didn't even at the time have a understanding, a full understanding of what that means. But that's the title is Conscious Confidence. And the more I've gone on, it is that connection to yourself that is that very centre of core self-assurance. So no matter what happens in your life, you have that strength to be able to step forward and thrive rather than be uh, beset and crippled by anxiety and lack of certainty. Doesn't mean you don't, you're unsure if something's new, but it, it, you have a fundamental understanding that you have that strength of universal consciousness within you and you can handle it um, and you can learn from it and you'll be fine. And um, I think that's a message that certainly has come through to me um, that I, I hope that people don't think that a human being is naturally beset by anxiety because I think in terms of the wisdom tradition, this is an unnatural state. Um, the wisdom traditions talk about a, a human being being a universal being and that means universal energy, universal qualities um, and we should derive our confidence from that, that knowledge. But we need to know about that. We need to be connected with that knowledge. The wisdom traditions have been saying it for for centuries, for millennia. But um, I think we just need to have that represented and reminded and be reminded of it. Um, so the book starts with really just laying out a few basic terms like why have I gone started with Sanskrit? about the wisdom traditions, all of that sort of thing, where I'm coming from. And then we start by talking about the body, mind and heart of a person, a whole person, and bringing that into alignment and balance. And we go back to what the Sanskrit says about balance, which is this beautiful word, santulana. And santulana is all about measuring and balance, not too much of anything, not too little, just that right balance. And if we get that right in terms of um caring for the body, mind and heart and spirit of a whole person, of ourselves, um, then we naturally come into balance and alignment because it's natural to be that way. Um, and then we, then the book proceeds from there addressing what's conscious and unconscious and then we get into values, attitude and then the focusing, uniting, simplifying and energising. If um, these concepts are teachings... And these concepts are things that we haven't, uh, maybe aren't in, innate to us, or at least we're not aware that they're innate if they are. Um, is, is it something that we need to strive for to be able to learn how to do exactly what you just described, remove these anxieties and these barriers that we have within ourselves um, to be able to succeed and find, I guess, what would be considered to be a more blissful place? Absolutely. Um, we, we absolutely need to be taught it. Um, every human being does. Um, I, I'm hesitating to use the word should, but we, we should all be taught this. This is basic knowledge. It's not sort of some otherworldly stuff that's for, for certain people. This is basic knowledge that, that we need. And the wisdom traditions are laying it out. There's this thread of knowledge 
that is available through all the wisdom traditions and it has been there for millennia and it's a case of uh, connecting with it and, and learning and it's not difficult. If it is difficult, we're not getting to the we're not getting the real knowledge because the real knowledge is practical, direct and simple, uh, but we do need to actually learn it. Um, and if we're not actually learning it, then we're just left to whatever's drifting by. And to be honest with you, the, these days with the technology, what's drifting by on social media and everything, some of it is a bit questionable. And um, and I think you can see the results of that, that just people don't know where to look. They don't actually know what to follow and trust. Um, and I was supremely blessed to be given this from a young age. So it went right in. And, you know, I, I've just watched over the years people, I think, why are people doing that? And then I realised because they just don't have that fundamental knowledge that you can follow and put into practice. And it's knowledge that works. You know, it stood the test of time. Uh, you you are I, I, probably unique in that you were exposed to this as a child and therefore have been aware of it, understood it, and maybe not completely, but, um, mm. you know, we're practicing it for a very long time. How do you mm. think your life would be different if you hadn't had that exposure? Would you, do you think this is something you would have found along the way? And if you didn't, how would, how do you think your life would be different? <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> No one's ever asked me that before. That is a great question. Um, thank you. Um, yes, I, oh God, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like, to be honest with you. I think I'd be a mess. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I could see I, I would just... Look, to be honest with you, I can't even imagine what it would be like. I would can just, you point? Can you point uh, to uh, events in your life or circumstances in your life that you would not have been able to handle at least as well if you did not have this within you? Oh yeah, I mean, just the pressures of of teaching. You know, there are times where you. You know, it's just that any teacher anywhere will tell you, you 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 come up against some tough things. You have to deal with tough situations. Um, they're not easy. They're not always pretty. There's not nice. And you have to, if you're a teacher, if you can look yourself in the mirror and, and call yourself a teacher, then you need to actually address them because this is the welfare of a child or assisting with a family or parents or whatever, but is fundamentally you're there to serve the child and the needs of the child and um, the parents have placed their trust in you to do that. Um, you know, there there were times where I honestly you just think, oh, either A, you wish this difficult situation would just magically disappear or it hadn't happened or, you know, God, what am I going to do next? And to be able to actually plant your feet on the floor, come back to that basic awareness in the present moment and fall still, um, connect with who you are, your presence, and then say, right, what, and then give your full attention to the matter in hand, to the situation, uh, and then the knowledge was always there in the present moment what to do next. Um, and, you know, that obviously there are processes and so on you go through in a school, there are systems and so on, but fundamentally to how to proceed where you just didn't sort of fall apart yourself or something, um, 
the training to be in the present moment and give full attention to the matter in hand and to come back to universal principle was just, you know, gold, invaluable. And what about um, friends or family that have encountered something difficult in their lives? Have you been able to take your teachings and, and, and apply them directly for someone else's benefit and help them through one of these situations? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of times. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, look, I know a lot of friends who also studied philosophy as well, and, and they would all say the same thing. Um, yes, it's just, it's just like a golden cord that you, you can hold on to and stay connected with. Um, and it, it all comes down to the, just simply the, the, the power of the present moment and all knowledge and all potential is in the present moment. Um, and that's not some otherworldly experience. That's in, intensely practical. That's why they were called practical philosophy classes. Um, this was taking it and, and a, applying the principles in daily life. Um, sure, you go on retreats and things, which are, are wonderful, but, you know, the, the real test is in your daily life. You know, when you wake up in the morning and the kid's got to go to school and you've got to go to work and all the things that happen in normal daily life. And, you know, the times where um, I had the opportunity to directly offer it in situations other than, say, my work or whatever, um, I just found again and again it was just like a revelation to people who hadn't encountered it before um, to have something that was so reliable and really, really worked. And and that's what confident, uh, conscious confidence uh, as a book does for people. I would imagine it offers them these paths and these ideas to be able to deal with these things on their own. Yes, yes. And it look, it does take practice. It's not like bam, you've got it straight away. But if you read, say, you're reading this book or you're listening to us talk now, and you just think, oh, that's a different way of looking at. Look at looking at something, and just reading something in the book where you suddenly go, "Oh!" and you have a bit of an aha moment. Already, you're starting to think differently. Any aha moment is a shift or a change in your normal patterns of thinking that are just going on every day unconsciously. Um, and those aha moments are so important because. You know, we talk about uh, wanting to change our life. Well, it happens like that, where we actually start actually thinking about something differently, thinking outside or beyond our normal modes of thinking, which are, frankly, 99.9% habitual, and I'm being generous, you know, <laughs> they're 100% <laughs> habitual. And, and the, you know, the research says we, we um, think about, like, I think it's something like 60,000 thoughts a day or something like that. They've actually done some research. And out of that, about 85 to 95% of our thoughts are uh, repetitive and negative and we're unaware of it and that you can you can google that up so uh, you know to actually get some awareness some aha about seeing something different considering it differently having a different meaning because most of our experience of so-called reality is based on the meanings that we have, which is language-based. They're based in words. Um, 
and they determine how we think and how we feel and, and then how we act. So we're literally speaking in ourselves into existence and our experience into existence with the language that we use and the meanings that we have for things. And these days the, the meaning that's getting in is that everything's scary, right, and, and we need to be worried. Right. And, and that's where going back to Sanskrit and, and clarifying our meanings again, just getting a different perspective, use the wisdom of Sanskrit and, and find that clarity again and then you can step forward into your own success. What's the difference between conscious confidence and confidence as most people know what confidence is? Yes, uh, great question. Uh, look, confidence, if you think about it, most it's something that's coming up a little bit more now in, in 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 and around media and stuff. But confidence is normally seen as either you know you're lucky, well that person's confident, they were born that way, that's their personality, and I'm not a confident person. So it's it seemed it seems like it's a bit of a roulette wheel as to who was dealt the confidence gene when they were born. Um, that that's one view of it. Or it's confidence that's based on circumstances where you're familiar with the circumstances, you know what to do, you can be confident in those circumstances. And I venture to say that that is more unconscious confidence. You know, yes, some people have got a personality that's a bit more out there, but fundamentally those people, just like anyone else, if circumstances don't quite go their way, that's often then... will show whether their confidence is founded in anything real in themselves, real and abiding. Because if the circumstances change and they're suddenly met with something that's a real challenge, does their confidence and self-assurance just dissolve? So often the loudest people who are out sort of personalities that are kind of out there, they're not always the most actually properly, truly confident people. They've just got a personality that's kind of out there. Um, and, you know, having practiced something and got good at it does give you a level of confidence, but the, the, the sort of challenge in that is that unless circumstances are known and sort of predictable, then your confidence can dissolve as soon as something changes. So there are weaknesses in all those situations, whereas conscious confidence is derived in a deep connection with yourself and your values, what's truly important to you, um, and some real wisdom within yourself. Just like a large tree has deep roots into the soil, uh, it doesn't matter what storms blow, the tree stands proud. And really that's the sort of confidence um, that just takes you through life no matter what's happening and you can chart your course with self-assurance and with positivity and you can thrive rather than just feel under threat all the time. You have referenced several times uh, wisdom traditions and wisdom teachings and wisdom Mm. ideas. Um, When you use that phrase, what are we talking about? Are there there more than one and, and can you name a few of these wisdom traditions for us? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Well, it depends where you look. Um, you could just take Shakespeare. It's actually, you know, there's huge wisdom just in Shakespeare. And these are universal truths, if you like, universal wisdom that are then seen in different traditions and appreciated in different traditions. Shakespeare's magnificent. Uh, Plato 
Socrates, magnificent. All the um, and I, I had a lot of training in the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian scriptures, which are the the wisdom in in those teachings is profound and so clear and precise. Um, the Bible, of course. So all these different. Uh, wisdom traditions, some have a religious element to them and I have endeavoured not to uh, influence what I've written with that sort of thing because I just wanted to provide principles that are there because those universal principles can then enhance if you are a person of faith with a a particular religious tradition, um, then these universal principles can enhance and enliven and enrich the particular faith that you follow. Um, so there's a universality in that. When someone picks up conscious confidence for the first time, what do you hope they're going to take from it after they first they spend their first hours with it? Oh, that is such a wonderful question. Thank you. Um, I would like I would hope that they have uh, their interest is peaked it's sparked to feel that they are delving into something deeper um, and that they can journey within themselves to find out something new something exciting uh, some new perspective that they want to stay with and they want to pursue and practice and discover. So perhaps I could say a, a sort of an inspiration and a sense of discovery that there's more to this than they realized. We have um, a little bit of time left here, go over some of these things, but I want to, and I know we've talked about a little bit of it in bits and pieces here, but what would you say are the most common blocks regarding confidence for, for any individual? Uh, it comes back to sort of a lack of connection with yourself. And certainly um, in my coaching work, that's where I start. Um, It's a bit like getting, um, you know, like if you have an appliance at home, like a toaster and it's not working. And the first thing you do is check that that the plug is actually plugged into the electric socket and the, and the electricity switched on. And then the power can power the, um, the appliance and the appliance can do what it's designed to do. Um, well, I always found, and I find this in coaching, is to get my clients connected back into themselves is a bit like putting the the plug back into the power socket and switching it on so that the 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 power and the energy is flowing through again. And that's that alignment and connection with yourself. Um, so that's... That's a sort of number one place to start in terms of uh, developing that that real confidence. And like I say, it's not sort of being big and bold and out there and brash necessarily. That's a sort of personality thing. Um, this is a sort of a natural, proper confidence that just means you can get up in the morning and be positive and looking forward to the day and no matter what it brings. Do you think that, you know, how you get there aside, um, but just the fact that if you face your daily life or your daily challenge or, or major challenges within your life with a, a sense of confidence that you have a much greater chance of success? Oh, absolutely. 
uh, because you, it, it, in a sense, you can determine where you want to be, um, what you want to do, and then chart your course. Be uh, confident enough to be able to take the next step, the next best step. Um, like all these great myths in uh, like uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Greek tradition or Pilgrim's Progress or when you're called within yourself um, to discover and, yeah, to discover something greater. And then that could be just, say, in your career, you're looking for a more fulfilling career, something that really um, fulfills you, but also you feel like you're giving the best of yourself to what you're doing. Um, you need to be able to get up each day and take the next best action and be f- forward looking, be in the present moment, but chart your course, uh, knowing that you're going to meet challenges and working away, you know, finding a solution around those challenges, up over and around them, you know, and not just stopping. And inevitably, that means overcoming any limits that you blocks you've got in yourself. And this is a natural way to live. It, it needn't be something special. Uh, the way, you know, this is actually how we're designed. <laughs> the book offers step-by-step guidance. It offers definitions. It offers ideas. You also include stories that are relative to prove prove a point, and a lot more. So it's really all encompassing. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, the approach I took was exactly this traditional way of teaching, which is simple stories that have absolutely the message so clear. Um, And stories are great because they bypass our thinking mind, which can sort of derail the process slightly, goes straight to our heart where we go, oh, yeah, I get it. That's the message. And the universal truths are often embodied in these simple stories so beautifully. Um, And I put in a contemporary accounts. Every chapter's got someone, either people I've worked with, people I know, children that I've taught, children that I know, um, you know, who actually embody this, demonstrate the point that I'm making. And then the definitions are crucial. Uh, They're going back to what the Sanskrit, what does this, each chapter's got, what does the Sanskrit teach us about, for example, values? And there's a whole chapter on values. And that was amazing to me because I I knew, you know, values and we had school values and so on. But to go back and find out really what does Sanskrit say about values? And it's amazing. It talks about the root of something and that which you honour or all the energies around values and they're so important to find they're they're an important element in conscious confidence because it roots us gets us rooted strongly in what's really important in that which we honor um and for example important things like kindness or magnanimity or service generosity strength courage these from the wisdom traditions point of view are not just nice concepts they're actually mighty energies in the universe and we all express some more than others a range of these beautiful energies. And it's great to be consciously connected to the ones that you relate to. Um, and sometimes it's kindness, but sometimes it's uh, courage. And to be aware that you're connecting to a mighty energy gives you huge um uh, what's the word, strength to carry on, especially in the times of difficulty. If somebody was asking the question right now, what is something I can do immediately, something simple to help uh, help me cultivate some confidence, do you have a suggestion? 
Yes. Um, I think number one, uh, I could think of two things. Number one is uh, sit down and write down what are your three top values that are so important to you uh, that are really the things that you honour you know, and, and really be conscious of your values. Is it honesty? Is it kindness? Is it uh, courage, magnanimity, service? Come at three, maximum five, three to five, your core values would be number one because that's already starting to connect deeply with what's important to you, what's at the heart and the core of yourself. Um, and number two is practice giving your attention to what you're doing, single-pointed attention to what you're doing. So if you're driving, giving full attention to your driving, coming into the present moment. If you're listening to someone, listen to them with full attention. If you're speaking, listen to the sound of your voice and speak with full attention. So those two things, come to what's important to you, the real core values and those beautiful energies, those mighty powers, and give full attention to what's in front of you. What about um, new work? Do you have anything that you're working on now that might be an update to to this uh, work or an, adi- an you know uh, additional to it? Uh, what else is going on? Um, well, I've the, the book's out and the audio book's coming out next week, which is very exciting. So there's an audio book, and um, I'm working. I'm just starting work now on turning the whole fuse pro the conscious confidence fuse program into an a series of online courses of different levels so people can work oh, wow. directly um, with the material rather than take a, take the book and each chapter in the book's got practices starter intermediate and advanced practices so it's these practical gives you things to do but an online course is good because it's interactive and people can work with me directly as it were because um, I can put things into the online course that aren't in the book. So that's number one. And then I've got other ideas for books. (laughs) (laughs) They're in development. (laughs) Well, you you certainly don't want to get ahead of yourself because this, this is just out is uh, conscious confidence just out. out. Yeah. So um, uh, where can people get a hold of the book? Uh, The book's available uh, at Amazon, Amazon amazon.com and Barnes and Noble and on my website, consciousconfidence.com. And it's available in paperback and in ebook. And the, like I say, the audio book is coming out next week. And you have a whole bunch of stuff on your website as well. What can people find if they go to the website, consciousconfidence.com? Um, yes, there's a lot there. There's a blog. There's the uh, link to all the radio podcast shows that I've done. Um, and then there's also some magazine articles that have been around in quite a few magazines and they're little potted bits of um, Sanskrit, how I've taken some Sanskrit and uh, worked it into some practical wisdom for today. And um, there's also other, also all sorts of other information and things to read on the website as well so you get a feel for it because it can be a bit daunting at first. Sanskrit seems a, a little bit strange. Um, and sort of, you know, that's for other people. But it, it isn't really. There's there's so much you can learn just from one simple word in Sanskrit, and some of the magazine articles might help to unlock that and unpack that a bit. Great uh, discussion tonight, Sarah. Thank you so much. One more question for you. Do you, do you or do you uh, know if Australia in general has any interest in American football? 
Um, there's probably people who <laughs> do know a lot about it. Um, yeah, I know the Super Bowl's just been on. Yeah, it was on yesterday. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you yeah. if you were happy with the outcome, but uh, you probably yeah. probably don't follow it much, huh? I don't look to be honest. I don't follow football in Australia, and we have about <laughs> three or four codes of it. Trust me, there's a lot of it, <laughs> Australia and football. Um, but I, I have been to Kansas City, Missouri, and it is a beautiful city. And there's a beautiful statue of um, Winston and Clementine Churchill in the middle of the city. And oh, I love wow. all the fans. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> All right. Terrific. Well, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Um, we appreciate your time. Great conversation. Hope to have you back sometime. Thanks so much, JV. It was wonderful. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by JV Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.